Oh, hey. It's perhaps it's you. What kind of podcast is this, Samantha? It's an unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. Oh, yeah. I think that means that my name is Liz. And my name is Samantha. <laughs> and I already said that your name is Samantha. And we're just going to say hi to BD Wong. Get that out of the way. Hi, BD Wong. Thanks for listening. Hey. I know you're listening, and I'm sorry that I don't know what a soul patch is. So, how's it going? We now know what a soul patch is. <laughs> I mean, I did. I don't know. Whatever. Am I some sort of facial hair expert? Well, we claim to be. No, I actually, we don't. We, we, we do really judge, don't. <laughs> judge facial hair, though. I'm judgmental, but I don't claim that comes from a place of expertise. <laughs> Fair. No. Fair. Mm-hmm. I would never make such a foolish error. Um, okay. You know, no, I, last night I got really nostalgic for when this podcast was like half about Animal Crossing. <laughs> I was like, oh, boy, Junior, come back. Those were good days. Come back. I mean, they were kind of... They were kind of terrible days, but we channeled all of our energy into Animal Crossing, and that was good. Ah, oh, man. I really want to know what Wart Sr. is up to. Wart Sr.'s out of the picture. <laughs> I'm to bring that up. Oh, that's sad, but for the best. <laughs> I can just assume. Okay, do we have any updates? I have an update. Ooh, I'd like okay. to correct a salacious lie that has been spread about me. Yeah. I was not in prison for robbing a Chuck E. Cheese with a bedazzled gun. <laughs> I was in a titty bar in Mexico. So, <laughs> okay, we I would s- like to set the record straight. <laughs> Mac only said that on Patreon, so most people have no idea what you're talking about right now. But, yeah, since Samantha, I should have said, welcome back, deadbeat Samantha, finally willing to do her own <laughs> podcast. Because she was not around last time, and Arden had to fill in with her for her, and then Mac had to fill in for her for Patreon. Because I don't know, maybe she had a lot going on, whatever. <laughs> but on Patreon, Mac claimed that she was in prison for robbing a Chuck E. Cheese after dropping a bedazzled gun. And I think I said that you would put your own, ad- like, return to Samantha address label on the gun. Bad move, Samantha. So that you were now... I wanted you to be recording the podcast from prison using your phone time, and you were not super into it. But those were all lies. Those were terrible lies. Of course you were at a city bar in Mexico, and of course you tipped well, I know. Obviously. So I'm glad I could set that straight for our listeners. Yeah. Um, I don't have the information in front of me at all, but... I did see that they recently caught a serial killer in France who had been at large for a really long time. And guess what? He was a cop. You can't see me because this is an audio medium, but I have my surprise face on. Oh, shocking. And uh, so I just, I really just wanted to bring that up to be like, huh, I wonder why these crimes are unsolved. Couldn't have anything to do with the police, could it? They had, like, a sketch of that guy, too. They had an eyewitness. He killed a bunch of young girls in France. I can't remember when. A while ago. 80s or 90s, maybe. How did they catch him? Was it, like, DNA or... I think think DNA was about to catch up with him. He was going to be brought in for questioning, and he killed himself. So he actually wasn't caught. He he was not willing to face up to what he did, I guess. That tracks. Yeah. So they finally, finally figured it out. Like, huh, I wonder if the reason this guy hasn't been caught is because he's one of the police. And then it was like, oh, I'm actually going to just kill myself. Mm -hmm. 
And I don't remember what his, like, you know how serial killers have, like, a nickname? Because they don't know who he is. I don't remember what his name in French is, but it translated to Pockmarked Man. Oh, God. <laughs> because there was an eyewitness that had seen him leaving a building where a, a body was left, and he apparently had some bad acne scars. So everybody was going around calling him the Pockmarked Man all this time, which is uh, kind of a, I don't know. It's like kind of a funny low below and all of that senseless horror and tragedy. Yeah, I bet if you are a serial killer, that's that wouldn't be the the serial killer nickname. No, I like it. I like it though because you don't like some of them sound like a little too cool, like the Night Stalker. I bet he was like, "Yeah, that's right, I'm the fucking Night Stalker." But does this guy want to be like, "I'm the pockmarked man"? (laughs) I'm the pockmarked man, like. I like that he probably was like, oh, I thought I was going to get someone cooler. Yeah, that and we really should give embarrassing nicknames to these people. That it should all just be like, impotent little bitch. And then... <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for the press conference where they announced that they caught the impotent little bitch. <laughs> impotent little bitch strikes again. And then it's just like, oh, wait, he was one of the police. Yet again. Huh. Huh. It's shocking. Anyway, I'm, there's a lot more information about that if you're interested. Obviously, I don't really know what I'm talking about. It's just, I was like, huh, I wonder how these mysteries go unsolved. Hmm. Wow. Could, yeah. Couldn't be abuses of power or just, like, people not doing their jobs. Nah. Anyway, I'm glad he's dead. Sounds like a real horrible person. Yeah, real dirt we're bag. Off, we're better off without him around. Oh, oh, oh. If, you've, if you're listening to this... And you have you have something you want to submit to the zine and you haven't submitted it yet, now's the time. You gotta send it in right now. Stop whatever you're doing. Pause send this me episode. send me that email with your, I don't know, Wart Jr. fan art or your drawing of you kissing Robert Stack or what you know, I don't know, a poem about a trench coat, whatever it is. Are we gonna get some like like <laughs> Okay, I'm not gonna print okay. Alright, fair enough. You can kiss Robert Stack in your drawing, but that's it. I'm not. I'm a little worried about what you're putting out there into the universe <laughs> to suggest that sorry. people send to us. No, not safe for work drawings. Okay, I'm not going to print print them. So you can keep those to yourself. <laughs> Your fan fiction. Uh, yeah. We'll accept it, but it's got to be. I'm going to say PG-13. Yeah, you can curse or whatever, but no, nothing like too sexually explicit, please. Our eyeballs don't want that. Like to see that and have that trapped in our brain for all eternity. Like. I want, I want some, yeah, I'm not consenting to that. Don't send me that. I don't want that in my brain forever. Your drawing of you, whatever, Robert Sack. No, no. You can give him a peck on the cheek. How about that? Yeah, 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 that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Went to a strange place so quickly in the episode. But, um, okay, we started season six. Do you want to know when we started this season? Did you look it up? Uh Uh-huh, I did. I gotta know. This is still not, believe it or not, folks, we're on season six, episode 22. This is not the last one. We still got one more. We started, I like made an announcement like, oh, you'll be so excited. Season six starts December 10th. (laughs) So we're coming up on a year. Not really, but like approaching it a little close to comfort that we've been in because of our many breaks and hiatuses and what going to every other week. We've managed to stretch this out for, yeah, approaching, it's not going to quite make it to a year, but 
We won't be wrapping this up until November, I don't think. Well, I this is what we have to do since we have to we'll talk about 5 minutes of the last episode every other week until we reach a year. Yeah. Yeah. That would be fun. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> no one wants that. Oh, yeah. that would be terrible. Nobody wants that. But I was like, oh man, it feels like season six has been going on forever. Well, because it has. I don't even remember all the shit we talked about this season. Nope. It's all a blur. Yeah. It's all a mysterious blur. But Samantha has our first mystery and it's, it's real long. So I don't know how you listen to your podcast. Maybe you're at work, maybe you're in the car, but if you're at home, like fucking settle in. Get that get that popcorn out of the microwave, because you're gonna be hearing Samantha's voice for a while. Yeah, sorry about it. Uh, this mystery is so long. I don't know why this mystery needed to be so long. Well, I can kind of tell from the way they listed it in the credits or whatever that this was two segments. They had uh, done two segments about the Boston Strangler. Oh, he's so mysterious. No, he's fucking not. He's just a <laughs> murderous misogynist. He's not even that interesting. Uh, in any way, but they had done two segments about him, but for Amazon, for whatever reason, they smushed them together, so it's just like, did you want to know even more about the Boston Strangler? And you're like, I did not. It's like, well, it's going. It's just like <laughs> season go. six. Just like season six, whether you want it or not, it's coming at you. Never ends. Yeah, so like Liz said, this is the incredibly boring case about whether or not, not really, this isn't really about like the boston strangler murders it's just people speculating whether or not the man who admitted to being the strangler or as liz likes to point out the one who did the strangling (laughs) okay there's a there's a reenactment where he's i'm not sure if he's talking to the the police or psychiatrist but at one point he's like lee bailey i think he was he was like defense attorney he was like no it is me and they're like what do you mean he's like you know, the one that did all the stranglings. <laughs> I was like, oh my lord. Yeah, this is... Um, Which I assume is what we're calling this episode. The one that did all the stranglings. Well, we have to. Yeah, so yeah. we're talking about whether or not Albert DeSalvo was really the Boston Strangler. So if you're not very familiar with the Boston Strangler case. In the early 1960s, Boston was gripped by fear. There was a killer on the loose. Ten women had been found murdered. They ranged in age from 19 to 75 years old. They all had different ethnic backgrounds. They lived in different neighborhoods. They seemingly had nothing in common except that they were women. Um, And that they were strangled to death in their own apartments. The police were frustrated and the public was terrified. The killer had been given the name the Boston Strangler because he strangled all of his victims. And he was Uh, in Boston. It's very creative. Yes. Uh, But in a way too catchy. A little bit. Something about the word strangler. I don't know. I don't like it. It's a little too decisive. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of a better nickname for him, which could be like... Um, huge letdown. No one likes or <laughs> thinks he's too suave. Yeah, because he really does, and it's real annoying. Uh, 
Dude, you would 100% avoid at bar. Like, that would be a better <laughs> nickname for him. Absolutely. So we meet author Susan Kelly, who wrote two books about the Boston Strangler case. And she describes the mood in Boston at the time. She says that there were stories of women rushing out to dog pounds and, op- and adopting every available mutt uh, they could find. Uh, locksmiths reported a run on their businesses. People were uh, frightened by this mysterious person who was running around strangling random women which you can understand like he seemed to be just striking randomly because these women had yeah. nothing in common it was happening all over boston uh, i'm sure if you were a woman in boston you thought you were absolutely going to be next well there's a certain equality in him being he was an equal opportunity murderous misogynist all women yeah, he were hated equal. all he hated all women he equaled them he what he hated them all he wanted to strangle them all and uh I'm sure the media kind of worked that into a frenzy and, you know, people don't really have air conditioning at this time. What time of year is this? Um, Are people sleeping with their windows open? You know what I mean? I honestly don't know what time of year it was. Anyway, but, whatever. Yeah, at any rate, it was scary, a scary time. So what I do think is interesting about this case is how the police handled the arrest of DeSalvo. This is strange and admittedly i this is my first introduction to the boston strangler case i know nothing about this previous this is very boring it's all yes it's extremely boring but i don't quite understand why they did that well i I have my ideas but at any rate 10 months after the last murder people noticed when a man named albert DeSalvo was arrested on unrelated sexual assault charges he was married and had two children uh, he also, and he had this extensive history of sexual offenses. He actually, prior to being identified as the Boston Strangler, had other nicknames because he was so pr- such a prolific Creep. rapist. And yeah. Creep. Uh, one of his nicknames was the Measuring Man because he would pretend well. to go a- to be a a recruiter for fashion models and he would smooth talk his way into women's homes and then when he got them to agree to be measured for clothing he would fondle them yeah it's real despicable and gross it's horrible and when DeSalvo's scam eventually caught up with him he was arrested and sent to prison for one year but upon his release uh he decided to just come up with a different uh, ruse to get into people's homes and this is when he received the nickname of the green man because he uh pretended to be a maintenance worker who would talk his way into women's apartners apartments and then assault them so he would go arrive at your door and be like the landlord sent me to look at the thing and they would let him in and then he would assault them yeah both of these names are too cool they have the measuring man in particular has kind of a slender man or the pillow man yeah, quality to it it's very creepy and i don't like it and really, he's just a total fucking dirtbag creep loser. Yeah, yeah, he totally was. Uh, so he was eventually arrested for those crimes and sent to Bridgewater State Mental Hospital. Uh, here, Dr. Ames Roby was the medical director, and he's quoted in the episode as saying, The first thing that was obvious about Albert was his incredible need to be somebody important. He would brag about almost anything. He gave the feeling, although he didn't say so at the time, that he sort of wanted to be known as, quote, the Boston Strangler. And this is part of why people are suspicious of him. They think he, like, wants to be the Boston Strangler too much. And it made people wonder if he was just, like, he saw this in the news and he wanted to be somebody. And he would, then they think that he just pretended to be the Boston Strangler. Um, 
Imagine wanting that. That's so disgusting. <laughs> I know. And I think that gives you an idea of what a fucking creep this guy is, where people are like, yeah, he wants to be, he wants everybody to think he's a murderer. He opens the paper and he sees a headline that's like, worst guy ever. And he's like, oh, I wish that was me. Like, what? He wants this notoriety, which is very weird. Uh, So three months later, George Nasser, another inmate at Bridgewater, had an odd conversation about the Boston Strangler with his lawyer, Ethley Bailey. Uh, Ethley Bailey probably recognize that name he's in the episode um he recalled his talk with nassar saying he asked me whether or not it would be possible for someone who had done the stranglings to write a book and my offhand answer was sure but he might go to the electric chair as a consequence (laughs) i mean Uh, yes of course you could write it down but yeah but you might be in prison or dead so later on i was asked to go down and see this fellow albert DeSalvo, by my client this is a little convoluted so bailey expected to come face to face with a monster instead he met a married man with two children who seemed concerned about his family which i don't know not that concerned no. Uh, so he said, I was a little incredulous because everybody develops a profile. You're looking for a monster, someone that, you know, he says their jowls are dripping and it just didn't seem to fit. <laughs> I don't know. This guy's teeth were not sharp enough. He wasn't foaming at the mouth, so he couldn't have been the Boston Strangler. Well, the thing about all of this speculation is nobody is saying he's not the measuring man or not the green man. Everybody's like, oh yeah, he's definitely a rapist and a perverted creep but he seemed like a nice dude it's like uh, hold up why don't don't understand this is what i do not understand about this segment is that i don't really understand why people don't think it was him like he was he just escalated like he looked too nice or something i i don't really understand it's totally a like I mean, I don't know if you call that white supremacy, probably, but there's just, it just didn't fit the image I had in my mind. This just seems like a normal guy. And it's like, what well, it is a guy? It's it not also, really the devil. Yeah, and he he admitted in at least the reenactment, I don't know if this is a direct quote, but in the reenactment, they asked him, like, how many homes did you go into when you were, like, out doing these bruises? And he says, like, hundreds or thousands yeah so he is out here assaulting hundreds of people that many thousands of people that might be an exaggeration on his part but like so he is actually a monster he just doesn't look like a storybook ghoul he's not actually a werewolf people seem like shocked i thought he would be the mummy um (laughs) yeah it's uh because he did those ruses so much he got caught twice like in the 60s think about that like how many times he must have even if he's lying about the like 600 or whatever that he clearly did it so many times it seems like all he was doing <laughs> so that was his, his first his full-time job was just molesting seems like it so according to bailey DeSalvo confessed that he was the boston strangler you know the one that did all the stranglings yep he said quote i had no way of knowing whether or not he was telling the truth or if he was fantasizing because he was crazy or had read a lot of things in the newspaper and wanted to be famous so uh, yeah he doesn't know if he's telling the truth or not he doesn't even know this guy it's not he's the he's not even his client at this point so two days later bailey returned to bridgewater with a tape recorder and a list of questions with DeSalvo's permission bailey had struck a deal with the boston police this is where it gets interesting 
Uh, they would provide Bailey with details only the Strangler would know as a way of testing DeSalvo. In return, Bailey was guaranteed that the tapes would never be heard in court. Um, so I think, and I don't, without really knowing, that they just wanted to find out if he was the Boston Strangler, he was going to go to prison for these assaults. Like, yeah. they just wanted to know, like, is he the one, can we, like, put this mayhem to rest? Because the city is in an uproar, everything's chaos, people are fucking terrified we need to know is he the boston strangler do we have him or is the guy that guy still out there strangling right so they agree that okay bailey you've got this like rapport with him go in there see if you can get him to admit to these things that only the killer would know and then you know in return we we won't use these tapes against him so that's what they're doing um and that's what he did he his descriptions of the crime scenes were so accurate that it, it convinced F. Lee Bailey and the prosecutors that he was the Boston Strangler. Uh, but when Dr. Ames Roby heard the tapes, he was not impressed. He believes that there was another explanation for DeSalvo's knowledge of the crime scenes. He says that Albert indicated that he had gone to the various sites that the newspapers had named after the police tape uh, was off the doors in the apartments just to sort of be there and see what was going on. So he thinks... They, that Why he is was- that more likely than it being him? <laughs> It's I so convoluted. Really, wa- my impression from th- some of these folks is that they just really wanted to believe that he wasn't the Boston Strangler for some reason. And I don't know why, because he admitted to it. He was going around assaulting people. He knew this, all these things that only the killer would know. So the I, strangling I stop while he's in prison. Also, y- yes, there's that. Nobody mentions that, but that seems like, I don't know, a, a bit of a clue. A, a bit? <laughs> a bit of a clue, yes. So Dr. Roby says that DeSalvo had a photographic memory, and he may have visited the vi- victim's apartments, or perhaps he was just repeating what someone else had described to him. Or the easier explanation that he's guilty. <laughs> I, there's no evidence that he was repeating anything, so I don't know. Um... And then Roby inexplicably began to believe that DeSalvo's friend, remember George Nassar, who had tipped off F. Lee Bailey, he was somehow involved. And this is why he thinks that. Apparently, uh, the other inmates in the prison wouldn't go near George Nassar or Albert DeSalvo. They just, like, completely steered clear of them. Which, maybe they're just creeps. I don't Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why that means that that they were like in it together or that George Nassar was actually the killer. It, the other inmates not liking them is only evidence of them being unlikable. And it seems like they probably were. So yeah, I, don't also, I don't see why that would point to the other guy being the Boston Strangler. Like maybe they're avoiding him because he is the Boston Strangler and he's like friends with the other dude. So they're avoiding them. Yeah. Because they're like, because like, they're like, that guy is actually fucked up. Like I just steal cars. Like, right. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with whatever that guy's into. That guy has issues. Yes. So George Nassar wasn't a good dude. He was in prison for killing a gas station attendant shortly after the strangler killed his last victim. Uh, Nassar agreed to discuss his role in the case and his relationship with Albert DeSalvo for the first time to Unsolved Mysteries. Whoa. And he tells Unsolved Mysteries that he was simply an associate. Uh, He said, I've done the same thing with many other prisoners. People come to me and ask for advice. I give it to them. If they say, uh, 
if it's worthy of me assisting them, I assist them for my own reasons because it's a nice thing to do. So he just is like, well, I was his friend, whatever. Um, He's just a guy I talked to in prison and I have literally no one else to talk to. It's like not really that big a deal. Right, exactly. So the Massachusetts Attorney General ordered uh, that the news of DeSalvo's confession be kept under wraps. Uh, within the police department, there was a split over whether DeSalvo was, in fact, the killer. Um, I think it's the Attorney General, or it might have been someone else who tells Unsolved Mysteries that it was about a 50-50 split, where about half the police thought it was him and half of them thought it wasn't him. At this point, uh, Robert Stack says, inevitably, someone leaked the story of the confession to <laughs> the local papers. In response, two women came forward. One was a survivor of a possible strangler attack. The other was a neighbor of one of the victims. They were brought to Bridgewater to see if they recognized any of the inmates. This is wild. If the reenactment is to be believed, they like brought them into like a break just room. A it looked room. like yeah, it was yeah. just like a, a game room in the prison where prisoners were just hanging out and they <laughs> be seen. Just, yeah, they <laughs> behind glass or that one-way mirror thing like no i would be really afraid (laughs) they're just standing like oh is one of these guys that notorious strangler like what please come back for me and finish the job yeah it was yeah so anyway they didn't point to albert DeSalvo. they pointed to george nassar as being the one who was possibly the boston strangler look Um, eyewitness testimony is just not what you want it to be no uh George Nassar, Tunsil Mysteries, says, I do not kill women. I never conceived of it. Um, I have respect for women. Uh, My mother brought me up that way. So take that. Look, he loves his mom. So take that. Yeah. F. Lee Bailey was not convinced that his client fit the profile of the strangler. Why? He's a fucking creep who spends all his time creeping. No, this is George Nassar. It's convoluted. George Nassar was the original client of F. Lee Bailey who tipped off F. Lee Bailey. And then per- gotcha, gotcha. Like, that was what precipitated him to go talk to Albert. So he, F. Lee Bailey did not think that George Nassar was the strangler. He said he was eliminated as the strangler. I do not think he fit the profile. Uh, first of all, George Nassar killed people with guns, not his hands. So get it straight. And also, I guess I don't know why he killed that gas station attendant, but that sounds more like a robbery related thing than a. It's a lot different. Being, yeah, it's, it's being it's a total different. pervert. Yeah. Right. So Albert DeSalvo was the state's prime suspect, even though there was no physical evidence that linked him to any of the killings. At this point, F. Lee Bailey suggested that he undergo hypnosis. <laughs> I mean, why not? It's unsolved mysteries. There's got to be some hypnosis in here somewhere. If this reenactment is. is how the hypnosis session went this is the most bogus thing i've ever seen i hope this is accurate like down to the tiniest minutiae they show him on a table with the hypnotist the hypnotist is like you hate women don't you you hate your mom and he's like no i love my mom and they're like no get it right you hate your mom (laughs) it is a lot more like a brainwashing session than i would expect a hypnosis session to be because it really is not like i'm taking you back to your childhood what do you see you know it's like but you you hate your mom and you killed all those (laughs) but you hate your mother no i i I actually love her but you hate her no i i i don't know why you'd say that because i love but you hate her like that's not hypnosis i don't think look i'm not an expert could that even be evidence that's about as leading as no. it could possibly be? Look, this guy is the Boston Strangler, but that cannot, it's not acceptable. I, 
I I mean, hypnosis probably shouldn't be used in court at all. It's just like too murky. But there's what is this? This is just yeah. a circus. It completely is. So Ashley Bailey thinks that this hypnosis session is proves that he hates women and was the Boston Strangler and has a problem with every woman in his life. Meanwhile, the psychiatrist, rightly so, was like, um, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he said, I'm not at all convinced that anything had been uncovered. Uh, the, all of the questions were leading. Uh, this is not definitive at all. Um, mm-hmm. In the summer of 1965, the Massachusetts Attorney General's office conducted its own interrogations. The transcripts of those interviews were never released, but the author I mentioned earlier obtained a copy while she was researching her book, Deadly Charade, which is about the Boston Strangler. That's not a good title. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, go on. She says when you get, basically she says that they were also leading him in this interrogation. She says when you read the transcript and you get to the point where Albert gives an incorrect answer, he's guided to the correct answer. Um, She said he was um, a smart guy and he caught on very quickly to what they were doing. Um, And she does not think that he was capable of killing anyone, which I don't understand why, but that was the conclusion she came to. Okay. Obviously, F. Lee Bailey disagrees. He says they have the right guy beyond question. Um, yeah. Uh, F. Lee Bailey st- struck a deal with the state in which Albert DeSalvo went on trial, but not as the Boston Strangler. Instead, he was tried for the sexual assault charges and other crimes in connection with the Green Man case. In return, the state agreed not to press for the death penalty. And like I said, I think law enforcement just wanted him behind bars. They were like, as long as we can get him off the street and not strangling anymore. <laughs> we need to stop the strangling. Yes. Yeah, I, I think this, I mean, it makes sense as a deal. Absolutely. Right. And that's basically what F. Lee Bailey said. He says, all that's all we wanted. Nobody wanted him on the street. And he said, even Albert didn't want to be on the street. He just asked that he not be executed. So that was the deal that they agreed on. Um, less than four hours of deliberation, the jury reached a guilty verdict on eight criminal counts. Um, DeSalvo wanted to be sent to a mental hospital, but his insanity defense failed and he was sent sentenced to life in prison. Hmm. Um, let's see. This is the longest thing ever. Yeah, um, I wrote that down too. <laughs> I just wrote down this is way too long at one point. I'm kind of skipping over some things. So, um... Outside of prison, according to Unsolved Mysteries, DeSalvo had become a legend. He was the Boston Strangler. But inside, he feared that this fame made him a marked man. After more than six years behind bars, he asked to be um, transferred to a cell in the prison infirmary where he would be isolated from other inmates. And then on the eve, So this is where things... Oh, I mean, it's already weird. But on the evening of November 25th, 1973, DeSalvo telephoned his former psychiatrist. That's um, Ames Roby. Um, Ames Roby says that he wanted to, that DeSalvo wanted to talk to him. Um, He wanted uh, the real, he wanted to give him the real story. Um, He didn't say over the phone and he would not give details over the phone. He wanted to talk to him in person the next day. Unfortunately, DeSalvo was murdered that night, so Roby never got the real story. Um, He was discovered in his cell, murdered. He was stabbed repeatedly in the chest. Some believe that DeSalvo was involved in a drug deal gone bad. Others, including his friend George Nassar, believe that he was was killed over a, a dispute over cuts of meat that he was allegedly selling 
in the prison, like underground. What? Selling cuts of meat? How does that even work? I don't know. They didn't say. I assume he was like, maybe he worked in the kitchen. Getting extra food. Getting extra extra cuts of meat and then selling them. And there was a dispute and he was stabbed in the chest over it. Were they cooks? I'm picturing just like raw, like, come here, boys, get your raw steaks. And they're like, we're in prison. I've never heard cooked meat referred to as cuts of meat. So I'm I'm picturing raw meat, but maybe it wasn't. I don't know. Why would they want it? I don't understand. I don't know. But he was murdered. People, of course, people think that he was murdered to like shut him up. Um, Someone literally said dead men tell no tales. I don't know who that was. (laughs) It was was Captain Jack Sparrow. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know why he was in this episode. That's odd. It was weird. It was weird. Odd odd crossover. He pops up next to Robert Stagg. Um, Three inmates were eventually charged with DeSalvo's murder, um, but none of them were ever convicted. Um, Oh, I wrote down. I wrote down this down. This is important. Did Samantha kill the Boston Strangler? (laughs) Over cuts of meat. (laughs) Yeah. Over like wasn't on the last episode. I was. You were killing him over a chicken nugget. <laughs> Look at between me and my chicken nuggets. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, wait, wait, wait. Important question. What's your favorite dipping sauce? Honey. Yeah, same. Sec- I, if there's no honey available, I'll take barbecue sauce. Never ketchup. Hmm. I can never remember which fast food restaurants have honey and which don't, and I'm just perpetually disappointed. <laughs> it's a state of my life. Gotta be honey. So that's where there's honestly more to this segment. The only thing I wrote down was this quote from the psychiatrist. Okay, first of all, there's a weird poem they find in his cell. <laughs> Guess what? It's not very good. <laughs> No. He'll be shocked to know that. What if, what if, that would have been a twist. What if it turned out he was like a brilliant poet and they like found his poems after his death and they were like, these are the most beautiful poems the English language has ever produced. Huh, too bad he strangled all those people. But no, it, it actually sucks. It definitely sucks. The, um, the psychiatrist, Roby, uh, says this very bizarre quote at the end that I wrote down word for word because I was like, what are you talking about? He says, Albert became the Boston Strangler because he wanted so much to be the Boston Strangler. It was the most important thing in his life. For someone who felt all his life he was a nobody, all of a sudden he could become world renowned. Not many people are handed a golden opportunity to do that. Albert was. I think he's saying that he confessed even though it wasn't him. A golden, he, not many people were ha- have been handed a golden opportunity to admit to strangling 10 women? Or possibly 12. Um, yeah, it's basically like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That was his ticket. This <laughs> his golden ticket to notoriety? I yeah. understand what he's saying, and, it's buzz- and I, I kind of get it, although he was the Boston Strangler. But who would describe it as a golden opportunity? Uh, I guess only if you're in the mind of a sicko. I guess. I mean, maybe to him it was. Anyway, maybe that guy. Maybe that guy was like, "I wish I had an opportunity like that." <laughs> man, oh man, oh man! Wish someone would hand me a golden opportunity to admit to. I wish everybody. 12 women. 
I wish everybody knew me as the impotent little bitch, but <laughs> but no. So the update to this is that on July 11th, 2013, Boston police released information that they had discovered DNA evidence linking DeSalvo to the murder of Mary Sullivan. She was the last um, victim who was thought to be a victim of the Boston Strangler. They found DNA at the scene that was a definitive match to a nephew of of a certain match to a nephew of DeSalvo. At this point, court, the court ordered uh, his body to be exhumed and after exhumation authorities announced that they had an unprecedented <laughs> level of certainty that Albert DeSalvo uh, raped and strangled Mary. Now the unsolved mysteries wiki says just because he was convicted of one does not mean he was called. Oh my God. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> he did it. He did it. That's the like Liz said. The strangling stopped when he went to prison. He admitted to it, and DNA has linked him to. There's no evidence that it's someone else. There's no evidence that there's someone else. They managed to talk about this for two whole segments, and even before the update, with the phrase "unprecedented level of certainty," which is amazing. (laughs) There's nothing to suggest anyone else except he talked to a guy in prison and. Um, eyewitnesses brought literally into a prison room with inmates gave a, a identified pick the wrong dude, but that does not seem like a, a a way to have eyewitnesses pick out anyone anyway. They were across a room; they could be seen. It's it's horrible on several levels. So yeah. I don't think that's really valid. There's really nothing that suggests he wasn't the killer. And then there's literally this DNA match. Yeah, people need to stop. <laughs> it's just this one's solved. This one's stop. solved. We it's got so solved. Yeah, yeah, we got it. We got sleep. T- sleep tight, Boston. The Boston Strangler is not still out there at like a hundred years old, <laughs> contemplating getting back to work. Back to strangling. Yeah. No. Yeah, he's like, I haven't done my measuring trick in a while. It's like, yeah, no one's gonna fall for that anymore. You, you, you ruined uh, fake modeling. Fake modeling contracts for the other creeps. Um, I do really like that phrase, unprecedented level. Sorry, it's like, oh my god, stop! It was him. Like, I know. I feel like they are uh, a little done with the speculation that it could have been someone else because, yeah. I mean, if it's, if it's someone else, it's someone with a, a, an incredible amount of self control that when someone else went down for it, they're like, if I stop now, no one will know. <laughs> What I will what I will say is that what's interesting about this case and that Robert Stack points out at the very beginning is that the Boston Strangler case was actually never prosecuted. Uh, yeah. He, DeSalvo never went to uh, court for this case. No one has actually ever been arrested for the Boston Stranglings. So can you imagine this other guy probably living his whole life thinking they're going to come arrest him someday? Oh my god. Because technically the case has never been prosecuted i mean at this point they have an unprecedented level of certainty but yeah probably lived his whole life thinking any day now they're gonna come arrest me for this i just want to kill gas station attendants like a normal criminal right i hate strangling he's wearing a t-shirt around that says i'm not the boston strangler and people (laughs) are like that's a little mm." little much i have questions that you're acting like are answered by your shirt but (laughs) Why did you have that made exactly? 
What if everyone in Boston was wearing that shirt except him? <laughs> that's, that's proof. That's how he was caught. Okay, we have a lost love now. And even though I usually not into a war story, sorry, Rochelle, I actually kind of like this one. This is captivating. I like this one too, but man, it is rough. It's sad. It's sad, but it's very compelling. So Robert Stack comes out to tell us that even the tragedy of war is sometimes eased by the occasional acts of kindness and compassion. And that's so what this true. Is, so this, true, Robert Stack. <laughs> this is what that story is about. This is back in World War II, formerly the Czech Republic, now referred to as Czechia. This is the story of Helen Elash, who was born in 1927 in the village of, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm going to say that wrong. So let's just keep going. So when her mother died, her life became a nightmare. Her stepmother didn't like her, and her father regularly beat her. He apparently was so sad. <laughs> no, he apparently was nice to her other siblings, but Helen believes that he somehow blamed her for her mother's death. I'm actually not sure how her mom died, but whatever. It doesn't Did she really die matter. Childbirth giving birth to her. I mean, that's not her fault, but I don't understand why she, a child would be blamed for something like that. I have no idea. That's not made clear. No matter what, he's a shithead. Anyway. So, okay, this girl is like, they don't specify, but by the reenactment, I'm guessing she's like eight years old and she finds work on a nearby farm for food and clothing, like picking cabbages and stuff. They hand this girl in the reenactment a cabbage that is bigger than she is. I know. She had to do that just to get stuff to eat, but then would have to go home to her horrible house to sleep and she didn't want to. So she spent a lot of time in the woods, just sometimes sleeping there. So she didn't have to go home. And she used it just to escape her horrible life. And there's this really cute reenactment of a girl, like, feeding a little deer. (laughs) So anyway, sometimes she would sleep in the woods. She got to know them very well. And one day, as every child dreams, she discovers a fucking secret tunnel in the woods. And this is actually part of a network of underground passages that all lead back to this medieval castle on the outskirts of town. But everybody seems to have forgotten that this, these passages are here, even though they're like right under everyone's feet. And it completely blows my mind with childhood wonder of the idea, even if you weren't in a really crappy situation, but particularly like, oh my God, here's where I can escape. This magical, mystical, like, oh, the secret underground tunnels. This is like a fairy tale. Her her evil, she has an evil stepmom. Yes. She yes. has, her best friend is deer and wild animals in the forest. <laughs> and then she has a secret tunnel that leads to an abandoned castle everyone's forgotten about. Yeah, she's spending her time in a cabbage patch and then in a secret underground tunnel. And because her will to survive is, like, way better than mine, she sets up, like, a a living quarters in the tunnel with, like, a bed made out of hay. And in the reenactment, she's got, like, her little dollies there and a candlestick. Yeah. She, like, sets up, like, this little warm place to sleep when she doesn't want to go home. Well, because when she didn't want to go home previously, she just slept on the ground in the forest. forest and got rained on. Yeah. So, cut to... 1938, the Nazis invade the Czech Republic. So, and then by 1943, the medieval castle that all of these tunnels connect to is taken over as Nazi headquarters. By this time, Helen is now 17 and hated the Nazis because she's a smart girl. So she can, and she was still using that underground tunnel as a secret hiding place. One day she's in the forest and she sees a small plane, like literally catch on fire, like above her and crash. 
So she runs out to the plane, which was an American bomber, and, like, runs over to them and tells them to follow her, and she directs all the soldiers to her secret hiding place, warning them that there were Nazis everywhere, and so they had to, you know, hide. She then takes it upon herself... How old did I say she was at this point? 17. She takes it upon herself to care for these men. I don't quite remember how many they were. Maybe seven. Seemed like a big group. Yeah. She takes it upon herself as a 17 year old with like no support to care for these seven men that are living in an underground tunnel, two of whom are injured. So they show a reenactment of her going through the hospital trash to find bandages and ointments and stuff that they can use for their wounds. She told no one. Because she didn't trust anyone not to snitch. And in fact, she told the local baker that she need. Well, she also doesn't have any money, right? Like, she's picking cabbages for food. So she tells the local baker that she's helping out a w- widow, a recently widowed woman With who has- 12 children. 12 children. And the baker feels so bad that he's giving her all this bread. So she's bringing the bread. And, and they also show her, like, picking stuff in the field and, like, throwing the it throwing into the woods. <laughs> So that she can bring it to the soldiers later. I don't know why she's instantly, like, so loyal to them, but clearly she just, like, needed someone in her life that was not terrible to her. And she feels this, like, basically a maternal instinct, even though they're older than her, to take care of them. And it becomes, like, her mission. She doesn't seem to care about anything else. She's scamming people out of bread and throwing, like, radishes into the woods. (laughs) So this worked for a couple weeks until she was betrayed by her own evil stepmother who tells the, who tells the Nazis that something is up. But before the Nazis could get to her, Helen goes to the church and confides in the priest. And he's like, you know, my child, what's wrong? You're clearly very upset. And she's like, look, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. I don't know if I can trust you. And then the priest is like, you can trust me. I'm actually part of the secret underground resistance. And she was like, oh yeah, prove it. Which is just kind of amazing to me. And he's like, okay, come back tomorrow. So she goes back the next night and they're in the confessional booth and he shows her that he has a two-way radio to communicate to England. And the person on the radio is like, "Eh, you can trust the priest. He's part of the resistance. (laughs) It's so cinematic. They should totally make a movie about this. Okay, anyway. It's so dramatic. So then she's like, okay, fine. Priest, let me tell you, there's these seven soldiers that are hiding in this tunnel and I've been feeding them and two of them are hurt and I'm pretty sure the Nazis are going to pick me up. So you need to like help them out. And so the priest's like, okay. This like, if the reenactment is accurate, basically she leaves the church and then Nazis sweep in and pick her up. I know. Because her mom is such a, her stepmom is such a fucking bitch. So the Nazis pick her up, they throw her in a car, and they interrogate her and beat her for three days. And basically, they don't really know what's happening. They just, like, know she's been acting suspicious. And so they're like, do you know, like, where someone's hiding? Do you know this? Do you know that? And she just keeps saying that she doesn't know. And Helen tells us that she was prepared to die before telling them. She gives them nothing. This woman is a fucking hero. She is so brave. They're like, I don't know, in the reenactment, they're slapping her. I'm sure it was even worse. And they're just like, what have you been up to? Tell us what you're keeping secret. And she's like, I know nothing. Right. And so eventually they give up interrogating her, but very sadly, sent her to a concentration camp in Poland. So thanks a lot, stepmom. And while she's in this concentration camp, she is used by SS doctors as a human guinea pig for medical experiments. 
(sighs) where she's injected with unknown drugs and medications. This goes on for two years. But you already know that Helen survives because she's been, like, talking to you this whole time. But she does survive. The camp was liberated in 1945. By 1948, Helen married a fellow Czech refugee, and they immigrated to the U.S., um, we learned that the SS experiments left her unable to have children. However, Helen feels that saving the airmen was worth the sacrifice, and she regards them as almost her sons. Um, so that's the end of the segment. Unfortunately, we don't get a reenactment, and I'm a little bit bitter about it. Yeah, I really wanted a reunion with all those soldiers. Apparently, she, she did reconnect with them, though. Yeah, the just the text comes up as an update to tell us that... that, that they were reunited, and she was even invited to the White House to be honored by the pre- by President Bush for her bravery, which I'm glad that she got some recognition for that, because she really did put her life on the line, and it changed the course of her life, even, that she, she risked everything for these people she didn't know that weren't even her countrymen. She just yeah. hated, she just hated Nazis that much, <laughs> and she had, like, no loyalty to her family or town. Where she was yeah. like, oh, you're going to get Nazis out of here? I love you. I'll do anything for you. <laughs> I'm going to steal. This story is amazing. It really has. It's very compelling. I think they should make a movie about it. Good job, Helen. You're a I hero. I completely agree. Okay, we've got one last mystery. This one's really fast. Um, and ugh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, there's not a lot here. This is an unexplained death. We are looking for the killer of 19-year-old Kevin Wheel. So Kevin Wheel um, was living in Hawaiian Gardens, California in 1991. This is a suburb just south of Los Angeles. He was gunned down by four uh, suspected gang members. I don't know if there's any evidence that these people were gang members whatsoever, except that he apparently had friends who were in the Hawaiian Gardens gang. I don't know if that's actually like the name of it or if they're just people who are suspected to be in gangs who live in Hawaiian Gardens. I don't know. But his mom. Look, they just keep saying gang activity over and over again. So you have to assume it's true. There's, But there is literally no evidence connecting this to gang activity. It's just there's no other explanation, I guess. No, there isn't because they have no evidence whatsoever. He was driving um, the night he was killed. uh, He spent the evening at a friend's house and was driving home around 1130 p.m. when, according to eyewitnesses, a car began to follow him and then opened fire. Kevin was struck twice in the head and three times in the back. An hour later, he was dead. Um, And that's it. That's they they have. They don't know. They didn't get a license plate. I'm not even sure there was a description of the car. It was very dark out. This could have been a road rage incident. I mean, there's there's no one knows. No one has any information who this could have been. The the only reason they speculate that it was gang activity is I think this whole town was afraid of gangs for some reason, and he was apparently known to have friends who were in a gang, but he wasn't in a gang. I don't. It kind of just sounds like people that went to his high school were in a gang, and he, like, might have talked to them. Like, it's not even like they were his close friends, or they were at his house a lot, or, like, he knew people that were in gangs. That's it. Yes. That is... it just seems is. like like he went to school. Like <laughs> that seems to be and so. There's a shot him. Yeah. So it must have been gang members. I I don't I mean, know. Maybe maybe not. Maybe they just thought he was someone else. Like it could have been a mistaken identity. Yeah. Like that sure. seems as likely to me as it's gang related. Maybe he pissed someone off at a party. 
Yeah. Who knows? Literally, who knows? So his poor mom, she peppered the town with flyers. Um, She pretty much made it her mission in life to find out who murdered him. She would stand on the street with a sign that said a thousand dollar reward. Please help me find my son's murderer. She's literally wearing a sweatshirt that says who killed my son. Yeah. it's really sad Ugh. we have some investigator who says that the gang members would rather die than snitch I don't know and then... <laughs> oh guess what gang members don't want to talk to the police hard to believe hard to believe so this is what Teresa uh, Kevin's mother said she says the hardest part for Stan that's his, her husband and I is dealing with the anger the anger that our son is dead and be- buried in a grave at 19 there was no rhyme or reason why anyone would want to shoot Kevin he's never been in any fights or disagreements with anybody he was just a 19 year old out having fun it's senseless and stupid it was still such a shock that someone something like this could happen so it's really sad I don't know oh, Apparently, they were driving a white compact car. Okay. And it's unsolved. It's never been solved. Um, very sad. That's it. Yeah, unfortunately, that one, there's, like, not even hope of there being DNA or something to eventually solve it. No. You know? Like, a lot of these have been getting solved lately, even though so much time has passed, but that one seems right. pretty unlikely. These people just got away with murder. It's very it's very sad. I feel bad yeah. for his family. Unsolved Mysteries Wiki has no update except that it's just unresolved. So, yeah, they clearly loved him a lot. Yeah, yeah, poor guy. I do feel like the high school Robert Stack is standing in at the very beginning is the high school they use for like everything on TV. The, like <laughs> the high school that you know when okay, if you're from the Midwest, maybe this is like really what California is like. I I wouldn't know, but like if you're in the Midwest and you're watching TV and everybody's lockers are outside and like the hallways of high school are like the beautiful outdoors with all this lush greenery. You're like, where the fuck are these people? Like on 90210 or maybe even like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I'm trying to think of like, I know I have seen that high school. I think we've all seen it probably hundreds of times that it's just like by LA and convenient to film at, but looks like no other high school on earth. I mean, I wish I went to a place where we could, like, eat out in what looks like a fucking botanical garden for every lunch, but that was not my reality. It was lovely. <sighs> anyway, that's it. That's all I got. Yep. That's all I have, too. Should we rate it? I guess we have to. By law. Mysteriousness. Okay. Um, the Boston Strangler could not be less mysterious, actually. And Helen's case is not mysterious either. And your last case is, but it's more just sad. So I'm going to say thumbs down. I'm going to say thumbs down because this last one was like a minute long, too. It was so short. So it did not, not much of this episode was no. mysterious. It did not build the mystery. It was just like, we hope we find who killed this kid. We didn't. That's <laughs> it. Reenactments? I actually thought the ones from My Lost Love were pretty darn good. Um, they I did. really liked them. Yeah. Robert Stack made a point of saying that they went to Czechia to film them. I don't know if that was like really the tunnel or whatever, but it definitely looks like it could have been. So I think they did a good job with those. It was very cool. I liked the reenactments in the first one, too, actually. The hypnosis reenactments <laughs> were very dramatic. Okay, yes, that's wild. I don't hate my mom! <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Fashion? Kind of unremarkable. Yeah, um, I didn't notice anything. No. Even though we have some things um, in the past, they weren't, like, very fashionable times. Um, 
It's not like the Boston Strangler himself was serving looks. So, <laughs> no. What a phrase. <laughs> that would have made the case more interesting at least um, at least yeah thumbs down for me yeah i'm not impressed did you notice any good mustaches i feel like no i didn't draw a single there, one were there even any mustaches in this episode i didn't notice any there might have been hitler but okay that's well. it. <laughs> no, i'm not drawing that i'm not drawing that so i, I didn't draw a single one no no mvm do people even know that means most valuable mustache? Well, it does. <laughs> I feel like we haven't said that in years, but that's what that stands for. Yeah, no MVMs in this episode. And Robert Stack, does he get a... I think he gets a thumbs up from me. I thought he did a good job in this episode. I like I the locales. You can always tell he's kind of excited to do a war story. Um, I guess I liked seeing that very bougie high school. Sure, thumbs up. I feel like that's generous, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Why not? Robert Stack is a thumbs up. So on our Robert Stack scale of zero to five Robert Stacks. Oh my god. The thing is the Boston Strangler part really drags. So yes, I it's a way too long. But I also I, loved your last love. I know. I'm gonna say three. Yeah. Really, I honestly, think it needs more than a three. I, that story was so good. I almost think like three and a half, four, not four. It definitely doesn't need, a, doesn't deserve a four. Three and a let's, half. Okay, let's do three and a half. But I'm gonna say you should probably just watch The Lost Love. And people are like, I don't like The Lost Loves. No, this one is very interesting, and you should watch it. This one's really good. And uh, and if you don't like Lost Loves, how dare you? <laughs> I mean, that was awesome at the beginning of the show, but at least we learned our lesson. Yes, we all grow. <laughs> Yeah, if you're it turns out if you're hosting a podcast about unsolved mysteries you get real happy when people do not die so <laughs> we, we we changed our i think at the very beginning we're like eh, so boring and then after a while we're like oh and everyone lived i love it it's the best segment <laughs> they ever had this is just about puppies the best. yeah exactly exactly it turns out you're just so happy when no one gets strangled <laughs> Um, three and a half for sure. I have never been more convinced of someone's guilt than that guy, honestly. <laughs> Unprecedented level of certainty. It's it's quite a phrase. It's not a phrase you hear very often in these uncertain times. Nope. They're like, stop speculating that he wasn't the Boston <laughs> oh Strangler. God. Leave us alone. This one's solved. They're like, this is not a salacious, fun story. These people fucking died. Just shut up. <laughs> yeah okay it's re it's recommendations time all i right. have a, i have a couple got? i have a couple Ooh, a couple all right i mean some of them are quick so i got this perrier perrier in tune of capitalism was like oh people want halloween water we'll make one and is so they spice? <laughs> no it is mystery potion blackberry oh and it's delicious and it comes in like the littler, the dainty can. <laughs> I, love, I love Perrier oh. because it, it has oh. more it has more bubbles. Is this? I don't know if this is scientific, but I swear Perrier has like more bubbles. I than think other I, sparkling waters. I might have been listening to an old episode of Perhaps It's You the other night, and we were talking. It was when we were in very grandma cast mode, and we were talking about how Perrier has a sharp bubble. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually feel like. 
This particular water doesn't have a sharp bubble. Oh. It's, so, it's softer somehow, but it oh. is very carbonated. Oh, that's what I want. Yeah. Yeah. You know, your your salter waters come in different levels of carbonation. This is very carbonated. I think it's delicious. It tastes sweet somehow. I don't know. I'm into it. I'm a little bit sad they're going to stop selling this. It has kind of a sugar skull on it. That's what makes it Halloween. The word's mystery potion. And mystery right, is in right. French. I mean, you got to love it. Have you tried the LaCroix Beach Plum yet? I haven't, no. If you can get your hands on it, it's delicious. It tastes like juice box. I'm not sure that it tastes like plums. Don't eat a lot of plums. Not really sure, but it is very tasty. Hmm. I will. I don't know if I said on this podcast that LaCroix guava tastes like a leaf. <laughs> like a <laughs> literal. The guava. It tastes like a. you went outside, you picked a green leaf, and then you just fucking licked it for some reason. <laughs> and then some, washed it down with some sparkling water. Yes! It doesn't taste like guava at all. It tastes like green leaf. I hate it. Ugh. It's LaCroix has some real misses, and I don't understand. Like, do you not test their products? <laughs> do they just make gigantic batches of them, and then they're like, oh shit, no one likes this? Too bad. We gotta keep making key lime. <laughs> that key lime was disgusting. It tastes like dust and sadness. I don't understand. Some people really like it. That's a decisive, divisive flavor. Well, they're um, they're entitled to their wrong opinion. <laughs> yeah, that's key lime Lacroix is disgusting. <laughs> that's exactly how I feel. When people are like, "Would you like a Lacroix?" and I'm like, "Absolutely," and it's like, "All I have is key lime." It's like I'd rather die. <laughs> <laughs> so. Never. I guess I'll just go stick my head in the toilet like a dog. I'm not drinking that. <laughs> um, okay, so this was the week that everybody talked about Squid Game, and they were right to do show. Let's do so. That show fucking rules. That was that was the best best part of my week was watching that. Oh my god, it's so good. I still need to watch it, which I will because it's been. It seems like rightly so. Very hyped. The acting is so good. The writing is so good. The story is so good. It's so well made. It's such a big, big, it's like a movie level production. You know how Netflix always acts like everything they do is like movie level production and you're like, yeah, okay. Like not a good movie though. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is actually like very like top tier shit. It's so good. It's so worth the hype. I don't even know. Like, do I really need to say anything else about that? Or they've seen it. Then they're just like, Liz is correct. Don't contact me if you don't agree. I do not care that you are wrong. That is your own problem. <laughs> you can work that out with your therapist. My, la- <laughs> my last recommendation. The other fun thing I did this week is I went and saw the movie Harvey in the theater, which, because I'm always on the cutting edge. That's from 1950, starring Jimmy Stewart. If you recall back in the day... As I begin every sentence, when VHSs were like pretty expensive, so each family had, oh, I don't know, like seven. And you just watch them over and over and over again. Does this line up with your childhood, Samantha? It does, yeah. What was one of the movies that you've seen like an ungodly number of times? Uh, what is the one with the Milo and Otis? <laughs> okay okay today we watch milo and otis we watch that all the fucking time uh to the point where i think uh that vhs got lost <laughs> yeah okay yeah yeah so as a child i watched mary poppins sometimes twice a day and apparently that tape got broken mom and dad <laughs> Bro- it broke and we could never get another one i don't know Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely saw that DuckTales movie where they, they like find a treasure in a pyramid or something. They like an sure, ancient sure. Egypt. 
I've seen that probably, like, whenever there's something on Twitter, it's like, what movie have you seen the most? And everybody's like, oh, Taxi Driver. It's like, fuck you, no. It's something like, it's like Beethoven. It's like some movie, it's like the Little Rascals. It's some movie for children that you had in VHS and you just put it in and you watch it over and over again. Unless you're, like, a lot younger than me, then maybe you've spent your whole time being, like, I don't know, super artsy. But the rest of us, the movie I've probably seen most in my life is whatever the hell that DuckTales movie is called. Anyway, my point is that one of the VHSs we owned when I was growing up was Harvey. And I have seen this movie, I don't know how many times, countless times, but not for a good 20 years. And I saw that it was playing at the trial on and I was like, oh, I gotta go. go I got it. They, they do it from, you know, like the actual 35 reel. Gotta go see it. And I had such a good time. That movie is so funny. It holds up so well, actually. The pacing, okay, the thing is, all of us, at this point, our attention span is fried. So so if you're watching it from something from, like, 1950, even if at the time it was, like, a nice, reasonable place, sometimes now you're like, oh my god, this is so slow. And it's because (laughs) your brain is fried. This? I don't know. It's punchy. It's funny. It holds up. Jimmy Stewart could not be more charming. And I love that he has an invisible friend that's a six foot tall rabbit and i think more comedies should be about that <laughs> uh i do not know if this is streaming anywhere but this is 100 percent. i guarantee no matter what library system and you are in your library <laughs> has this movie you'll be able to find it yeah yeah and i had such a oh it's so good it's so charming and it's so hilarious nice yeah that's my recommendation great recommendations i don't know if we've ever had three recommendations from one of us i'm not even sure squid game really counts i'm just like if you've seen that there's a ton of hype it's actually deserved that's not like i don't know it's not some marketing thing it's really that fucking good (laughs) nice well my recommendation could absolutely not possibly be more different and i honestly don't know if this recommendation is going to be useful to anyone who's listening i'm actually very intrigued now so, as many of you know, I have a miniature donkey. I, adopt- I adopted him. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Is this where you expected this to go? Is this your first no. time listening to the show? Yes, I have a miniature donkey. I We adopted him last year. about Almost exactly a year ago, we adopted him. And his primary Aww. job is just to be a friend to my mother-in-law's horse. He needed a buddy. We wanted a donkey. It worked out. So, uh, his name is Elfie. He's very cute. <laughs> You know, how you, you know how you have a horse in need of a friend and you wanted a donkey anyway? Yeah, it's one yeah. of those. Yeah. <laughs> a tale as old as time. So uh, he's very cute. But what he also is, is deer colored and vaguely deer shaped. It's a little wider than your average deer. But from a distance, he could be mistaken as a deer, which is a problem because it's hunting season in Minnesota. No! I no! Know. <laughs> Don't worry. So um, the, the pasture where they spend most of their the warm their time in the warmer months, the area around there, people do hunt. And uh, once it gets to be November, they don't go out there anymore. We lock them up closer to the barn because people are going to – because uh, um, firearm season is going to open in November, and I definitely don't trust those people. But – archery season opens a lot earlier in minnesota it opened at the end of september and goes for like two months or something oh my god i live in such a city mouse life that i had (laughs) no idea there was a separate archery and firearm season 
there is. And I don't actually know if anyone hunts archery around us. I know that there's people who hunt firearms, but I, I don't actually know. Although we suspect there might be a few. And so just to be safe, I wanted to get some orange gear for Elfie to wear uh, out in the pasture. Something that would tell people, even if they're, I don't know, intoxicated, perhaps speaking for a deer. So I wanted to get him some orange gear, which is surprisingly a lot harder than I expected. <laughs> You can find all kinds of orange stuff for for horses, for dogs, um, but a donkey's not a horse. He's not the size of a horse. Um, he's not the shape of a horse. He's a lot smaller. So I finally reached out to this company called Protectivest, and they, I think, I forget where they're located. Uh, it's not local to me, but... Um, I emailed them because they advertised that they did custom orders. They make this like, it's a vest. I mean, you can imagine what it looks like. It goes on the front half of the, of the horse is what it's meant for. And they advertised that they do, would do take custom orders because all of the sizes they had available were too big for little Elfie. So I emailed them, asked them if they would make him a custom vest. Sue from Pro- Protective Vest was very nice. She emailed me back right away, helped me get his size, said she would make up a vest. I fully expected to pay extra for a custom order because obviously, like, that's just how it works. Uh she charged me less because she said his vest was so small she didn't need as much material she didn't charge me shipping and when she sent it to me she asked me if i could take a picture of him wearing it and send the picture to her so she could make sure it it fit him okay which i thought was very nice i received my vest i put it on him i was actually pretty happy with how it fit um most of the time like he has winter blankets and in trying to find a winter blanket for a donkey they tend to like hang really low because donkeys compared to horses don't have like any shoulders um and this one didn't but it kind of sat up high on his neck so i sent her a picture of it i was like you know i I think the vest is great he seems to wear it just fine he doesn't seem to mind it and she responded that she wasn't very happy with how it looked on him and that she was gonna make me another one and she sent me another one i offered to pay for shipping she refused i offered to send the other one back she refused said no you'll find a use for it i just want to make sure that he has a vest that fits him she sent me another one. If it does fit him, great. She was happy with it. Um, he's been wearing it since the end of September. Uh, he's very cute in his little high vis vest. My uh, niece said he looks like a construction worker, like it's his Halloween <laughs> costume. <laughs> and so far, he has not been mistaken for uh, a, a little chubby deer. So I'm happy with it. Um, like I said, I don't even know if anyone listening has horses, or if you do, if you are in an area where this might be a risk for you. But they have different products on their website. So if 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 you need something orange to keep you safe this hunting season, maybe you're hiking. They they have stuff for humans. Um, I think they have like bike helmet covers, things like that. They've got a vest for dogs. So if you take your dog for a hike in the woods, and maybe you're near a wooded area and you know, hunters is something you worry about. I also feel like if you wanted something very specific, you could email Sue and she would accommodate you. Like they make this like collar thing for horses. That's like a Velcro orange collar. I'm sure they could size that down for a dog. If that was something you needed or I don't know, a goat or some, <laughs> some animal you might want to put orange on. Um, yeah. I, I just thought that the experience of ordering this custom vest was one of the, the best experiences I've had working with a company to get something custom made. So I wanted to shout them out, um, check it out and definitely protect yourself. If you're out there hunt- during hunting season near wooded areas, you may not think that someone would mistake you or your dog or your horse for a deer, but it happens. Like I swear every year I see an article about someone getting shot at or getting shot out on a trail by someone who just saw something move and 
shot at it. So don't let that be you. <laughs> Protect yourself and uh, maybe check check this company out. That's like a whole thing to worry about that was not on my radar at all. I'm not sure how much danger you're in, but if you're in a wooded area, I mean, just be aware of it. It's We're not as healthy. big of a risk. Yeah, I don't know that it's as big of a risk during archery season, but, you know, I don't want to find out the hard way that I was wrong about that. I'm picturing people just running around in full, um, like, Robin Hood cosplay. But I, 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 I am aware that crossbows exist, but it would be kind of be cooler if it was like I want like a full on bow, Hunger Games style. <laughs> yeah, or like I, I like the idea of a Robin Hood bow. I think and arrow. He, I think you should have to dress like that to go hunting. I think actually it would really bring down the number of. <laughs> that would be amazing. He's like, I'm sorry, are you wearing tights? That doesn't fall under this hunting the, license. The DNR is out there ticketing people for not wearing tights. Yeah. That's my vision. I, for, I support it. For Minnesota. I support it. Man, I love this podcast because it really covers such terrain. So wide variety. Yeah. As you know, I have a donkey. How random. Yeah, I love it. Okay. Well, that brings us to the close of this episode and... You should really join our Facebook group. We just had an awesome giveaway to re- reward people that are in there. And if you're not in there, you totally missed out. So you should join our Facebook group. Um, we have social media, Twitter, Instagram. You should send us a spooky story. Yes, Maybe email us. Time. We're almost done with this season. So we've got to do something at the end. Yeah. We want your spooky story of when you saw a ghost or a UFO or... Something darker than the darkness or New Michelle or some other terrifying thing. <laughs> if you if know you what don't. New Michelle is up to, send us send us an yeah. email. Perhaps it's you podcast, gmail.com. Uh, Someone we should write like a ghost story about New Michelle for the Z. <gasps> some New Michelle fanfic. Yes. Yeah, I want that. If you're Stretch a creative out. writer out there, we need this for the zine. Get busy. <laughs> yeah. What is New Michelle up to? You can send those over also to us at Perhaps it's you podcast. Yeah, send your zine sub- submissions. And also give us a five-star review, the only type we accept. And do Samantha solid and hit that subscribe button. <laughs> do us a solid. You can also check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash perhaps it's you. I think we have like, do we have like 45 bonus episodes at this point? And it's only a dollar a month. Too many, honestly. So head over there. Check it out. Oh, shout out to Sri Lanka. We have slid in the Sri Lankan charts. Last time I saw we were at 88. So it's a little bit sad. Actually, oh, I should have brought up as an update that to celebrate us doing so well in Sri Lanka, I recently had Sri Lankan food for the first time. Yum. It was delicious. I went to a place called Curry Diva and I had the best customer service ever and the food was amazing. So shout out to them. I'm sure they are not listening. (laughs) <laughs> but thanks Kareva. I maybe loved it we become big in Sri Lanka and they hear about us maybe I, I, we were so big that we got to number two so let exactly. if, if you know the, if, you, if the word spreads let them know I enjoyed my food very much <laughs> so ridiculous okay um, I think that's everything All right. let's, just, let's just go let's just be gone <laughs> Bye. Bye.